it's always back to the first little person. The, the more connected we are, then you have absolute healing. It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pot. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper. This yellow fluffo is such a short, short Hi, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Been There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world. They're not just striving, but thriving. Experienced, smart women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, class, stop typing, please. All right, class, stop typing, please. This week, I talked to one of these women, Alison Warden, sales promoter, model, actress, entrepreneur, author, yoga teacher, and psychotherapist. And she joins me now. Hi, Alison. Hello, Susan. So very much the Renaissance woman. Is there anything you haven't done? Um, well, I did think about what I haven't done. And what I haven't done is to interview somebody called Susan Osman, because with all your credentials, <laughs> I think that you're probably the most interesting woman ever, actually. Let's just get stuck in straight away and talk about one of your biggest challenges, which was your health challenge and uh, your ME. T tell us about that. By um, the time I was ill with ME, um, I'd hate to be defined by ME, but what I would say is this, that I didn't have the awareness before I had ME, I didn't have the consciousness or the awareness. So when I was actually selling wine, training to be a Gestalt psychotherapist, looking after two children on my own, doing um, bits and pieces on TV for Heidi High, I was doing all this stuff and, and exercising and didn't know, can you imagine? I didn't know it was too much for my body. So my body obviously had to tell me. And so there I am running, doing all this stuff. And then suddenly one day I couldn't, I couldn't do it. My body just said, okay, stop. And I so now understand that when we listen to that inner voice, when we listen to our soul, when we actually really listen to that part of us and connect with that part of us, then everything is so different. But at that moment or at that time, that period in my life, I didn't know any of that. So how clever, how clever of my body to then shut down. At the time, it was terrifying because I had so many things to do, so many, um, oh, just so many projects on and I needed all my energy. And suddenly, suddenly one day I had this terrible pain in my head and my body wouldn't move. So it was like being struck by lightning or something. It was horrific. And that really, and it's very easy in hindsight, but when you're going through trauma at the time, your whole world falls apart. You don't have the understanding, don't know anything that's going on and so what I did I I still had to carry on working because I had a house had my own little house and I had to provide for the children and so I had to cut down to 
just working with the doctors um, and and then knowing that something else, I started to very slowly have a new awareness. Then I decided, what could I do? I knew it was to do with the immune system. <laughs> so mm, fun. Every morning I ran my bath, a freezing cold bath, and I ran it and until it was absolutely full and i sat in it lay in it for half an hour every morning believing absolutely believing that that would help my immune system i'm very interested in, in in two things really in this particular aspect one that you very clearly don't want to be defined by your illness and i'd i'd like to ask you how we avoid being defined by our illnesses and also you had an illness, and I, I believe you still live with it, ME, which is myalgic encephalitis, that at the time when you were first diagnosed, people didn't even believe it existed. No, it's true. No, I don't want to be defined that because I believe that we're defined more by our, our soul. And that's who <clears throat> I think because I would say now I am more, well, I'm closer to my soul and where over the years I've maybe had difficulty in my self-worth. I've had something that's believing in me that's kind of motivated me. And now I would say that I absolutely so, so value my soul, that deep inner part of me. And if I could impart anything to anybody, it's like stop being out there, go within now you have hindsight, when do you feel that you lost touch with your soul? I think over the years, if I look back, there's always been some inner voice that said, go for it. Yes, you can do it. Do it. Do this. This is your truth. So there's something about, if I talk about just me, which is mm, not so easy, but anyway, if I talk really just about me, then I have believed from, oh gosh, from the time I met Richard when I was nine, my truth. What is my truth? And I won't let anybody else tell me what they think my truth is. My truth is mine. And it usually takes courage to live by it. My soul, my inner voice, whatever you want to call that part of us, then said, okay. Now you've got to go and find a house in France and live there. I was like, what? I can't do that. Well, sorry, darling, but you've got to. You, you talk about, you see, there'd be many people who think, well, I don't know what on earth this woman's talking about. I don't even know I've got a soul. Or what does she mean by some voice? T tell us about the process, about what made you sort of up, up sticks really and go and live in France. I know when I first really was aware of that part of me was actually when I met Richard when I was nine. And that part of me just knew. I said, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to marry you. Obviously, nine is a bit young. So I had to wait till I was 16. So, so that part of me has always been um, maybe a bit bossy. So, so over 
how can I explain? I I have to try and live up to it. When that part of me said, and and everybody's got it. If you just have to shut off all the stuff outside of you, you have to maybe listen to your dreams. When that part of me then said, okay, now you've got to find, you've got to go and live on the top of a mountain in France. I was like, no, please, no. And I'm then so weedy in comparison to that part of me. But if I trust it, when I trust it, when I believe in it, I don't know, then all these kind of doors open, this miracle kind of happens. So when I said, oh, okay, okay, then then I, I will, I will go and do that. And so the first thing I did was to write down exactly what I wanted. And I wanted, I wanted to find a house on the top of a mountain. It had to have a stained glass window to remind me of God or whatever you want to call that that energy, something much higher than mine. And and it had to have a swimming pool. That was a deal. I had to have a swimming pool. Am I right, Alison, that it was when you were in France that you felt inspired to write your book, Your Story? When I found Ian McEwan's house on the top of a mountain with a swimming pool, and he so kindly let me rent it from him. And, and I said to the family, okay, I'm going now. I've got to go and do this on my own. And there I am, absolutely so lonely, so, oh, I can remember the feeling. I was so alone. And then knowing that, oh, my goodness, that's why I went there, to actually write the book so that my experience could then hopefully shine a light for other people who were going through similar kind of difficulties. I suppose I should come clean and I should confess now that um, it was as a result of you going to France that that inspired me to go to China and do something very different. So you've certainly been a pioneer for other women. Did you find your psychotherapy background helped you understand what was going on for you? I, I don't think I could have done it without that, um, without all all that experience and knowing I suppose it's one thing to know it it's another thing to really experience and to go into the pain of being human the pain of being totally alone um, we're a species that we're made to be with other people so actually to have no distractions whatsoever and just to go inside me was agonizing and when I stayed in that place then something connected something something so beautiful happened to me and that's when I knew I had to write the book and then Ben came my son came to stay with me and he was too lazy to read it but he agreed that he would 
draw all the pictures and his pictures are lovely. Oh, so he's done all the, he's done all the illustrations yeah. yeah yeah so you've you've overcome huge physical challenges which you still do presumably on a day-to-day basis although of course I accept you don't want to be defined as such now you've also gone through other challenges because you talked about your divorce having met your husband when you were 9 and deciding you were going to marry him the, the marriage didn't quite work out the way it did so te- how how did you overcome that of being a single mother and working professionally? So I would say that together in the beginning, we we worked really very well together. We had our two children. There was a lot of, um, uh, there was so much love. And then Richard became um, the sunbed king. And that was all very exciting in the beginning. And we bought a super duper house and everything. But then the sunbed king went a bit nuts. I think it went to his head. And so that was the beginning of the end of us. And in hindsight, I actually, however awful it was, and it was awful, but however awful it was, I would say it had to be so that I could then begin to define myself without his opinions, without who he was, because he's older than I am. He had to um, he had to be out of my out of my zone so that I could then redefine myself as who I was now, not who he would see me as or I wouldn't be pleasing him. Do you think often women define themselves by their partners? I think sadly, I think we would probably do. Um, I think there's. Because I'm Aries, I, for instance, have quite a fiery temperament. And if I listened to men, they would be like, ooh, you know, that's a bit fiery. We don't like you quite like, well, sorry, this is who I am. Sometimes I'm like this. And that takes years of, of really accepting yourself, not being who somebody else needs you to be. Do you think that women aren't actually encouraged to be who they are, but they are even even today def- defined by those around them? And actually it takes a divorce or a, an illness or something quite drastic to get women to recognise themselves for who they are and become empowered. I would say that that's probably been the case. I would say that now the kids, this next generation I think that the girls are much more powerful. I just have that sense that they have more of a sense of who they are and they're not going to be told how to be or who to be. It's a, it's a tricky one. If it's if it's give and take, if there's a husband and a wife and they're both pleasing each other, and if they're both winning from that, then that's great. But if it's costing them their truth, if it's costing anybody, if to stay in this relationship, I have to give up a really precious part of me that is not serving me. And so then to actually be brave enough to have the courage to really be who you are. And if that person can love you as you truly are, then that's wonderful. And if they can't, or if they won't, then you're with the wrong person, aren't you? 
So what, what's kept you going, Alison? Because you've had some pretty big challenges. I think my, <laughs> my, my spirit maybe is just, um, um, it's quite fun. It's quite a fun spirit and, and it does drive me. So it's like, what do I want to do next? I want to learn more mystical more mystical stuff in this world and scientific stuff um, about how the brain and the body function together, how the heart so affects the brain. There's, I just get so, so excited. I've always had something within me, something connected to me, something, and I don't know exactly how this works. I didn't have anybody... I had to kind of <laughs> probably fight the people who were saying, no, you can't do that. Yes, I can. So I don't know where, I don't know how that actually happens. But I know that it, it's always been, um, it's always been my lifelong task to, to follow my truth. When women clients come to you or male clients come to you, what are the big themes in women's life, the, the, the big issues that they're wrestling with? Is it self-belief, self-esteem, self-confidence, wanting to be heard? And, and how does that compare with, with the men's issues? I would say, I would say that whatever they, they come with, it's disguised. It doesn't matter how it's how it's delivered, but it's always about about if it was little Susan, if it was little Dan, there would be some some feeling, some depth, and there's either anger or pain in that small child which is buried within us and so to be able to trust and I'm so honoured to have had so so many people's trust and when somebody trusts me or another psychotherapist or healer when there's trust involved to actually show and obviously I've done this for myself with my psychotherapist when I'm anyway. So when we are brave enough, when we trust enough to be really, truly vulnerable underneath our rage, our anger is always pain, always pain. And the only way that we can heal that part of us is to feel it. And to feel it is so awful. It's so painful because it's the part of us that we shut out when we were tiny. Whatever was happening, whatever our needs weren't being met or abuse or whatever it was, then to survive as little things, we had to then secrete a hormone which is so much stronger than um, any kind of, uh, I can't think of the drug I mean now, beginning with S, I'll think of it in a minute. But anyway, 
so much stronger than any kind of drug. It's a thousand times stronger than the strongest drug that you could take. And it totally, totally anesthetizes that feeling. It's always back to the first little person. And the, the more connected we are, so the more Susan is connected to little Susan, the more Alison is connected to little Alison, then, then, then you have absolute healing. When you start to give that part of you acceptance. you say to women who are who are embarking out profession you've done a whole plethora of things and you've reinvented yourself you've overcome this illness you live with the illness you had a, an unpleasant divorce you're now reunited with your husband years later what would you say to women who are embarking out now on a career to absolutely accept their fear to accept it it's part of it to then really be very, very clear about what they want, to write down what they want, and then to bring that into the present, into the present, and behave as though it's happened now. So then your whole body and your brain are rewired, your whole energy, everything is so totally different because it's happening now. And your brain and your body don't actually know the difference between now and the future. So you can kind of, if you like, um, play a little game with your brain, because if you're imagining, oh, if I have this, if this is going to happen, how happy I'll feel, you can do it now. And so then this, oh, that was something else I did. I listened to um, Paul McKenna's hypnosis tape, Positive Thinking. I did that for um, two years every day. So it really does have an effect on on our being. So how's your health now, Alison? Brilliant. I've just done my 40 lengths. I do 40 lengths swimming every morning. I do my yoga. I lay on this horrible um, yoga mat thing, um, bed of nails and and I do my yoga and my meditation. So you, you so you're pretty disciplined. What do you wish you knew back then that you know now? Um, I think the only thing I wish that I knew, I know now that Richard is my soulmate. I think I knew it when I met him, and somewhere in the middle of our um, time together, we kind of we kind of lost sight of that. And what general advice would you give to a woman listening to this to, to keep going and, and, and to overcome any challenges or difficulties they might currently be facing? I would say always to stop listening to other people, to focus within, um, to really just take the time to be 
with yourself and then to look at all the ways you can begin to really take care of yourself. There's a word that I use, which I think is so powerful. If we honor ourselves. Alison Warden, thank you so much for talking to me. I can definitely say you've been there and done that. Thank you for listening to Being There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. I'm a princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters?